I'm Rupert Sheldrake. I'm here with Mark Vernon. This is a Science Set Free discussion. And today we're talking about anatheism. Now, Rupert, you're going to have to tell me what anatheism is to get us going on this. Well, anatheism is a word that I only learned recently, and it's the title of a book by a philosopher, Richard Kearney, K-E-A-R-N-E-Y, who's an Irish philosopher. And um, what it means is going back to God. Anna is, you know, the Greek word meaning going back to, and theism as in theism. What's interesting about anatheism is that he sees this as a kind of movement back to God from a more atheistic position. So you'd have, like, primary theism, where people are just brought up taking God for granted, and that's true of most people still in the world today, in most cultures. Um, You don't question it. Everyone around you believes in God. It's part of your culture. And that would have been the case in the Middle Ages, for example, in, in Europe. And it's the, certainly the case in India for the, today. I mean, in one form or another, almost everybody believes in God, Hindus and Muslims. But then you have a movement to, towards atheism, away from belief in God, such as we've had on a massive cultural scale since the Enlightenment in Europe. Um, so we now have a situation where most people... Um, have either been directly educated into an Enlightenment attitude or have absorbed it from the general culture, very secular attitudes. So there are quite a lot of active and explicit atheists, and there are a lot of people who are just not very interested in religion, and some who describe themselves as agnostics. And so in that context, then anatheism would be coming back to Um, a belief in God and an experience of God Um, not because that's what you've always believed uh, but in a new situation where you have a choice that you're actually coming out of a background of non-belief since you and I have both been through an atheist phase um, in a sense our own discussions our exercises in anatheism and our own um, inquiries and life paths are exercises in Mm. And uh, examples of anatheism. So I think it's actually rather a good word to describe both an individual journey and also a cultural movement, because now there are considerable numbers of people who've been raised atheist or who've become atheist who are returning to a religious path. Well, maybe that maybe that would be a good way of thinking about it. First, sort of more on the kind of personal, individual level, and then maybe come back to the cultural Level. I mean, when I think of my own journey, which was um, away from God, um, and then having to sort of somehow own up to myself, come out to myself that I um, was sort of, you know, I, I was interested and in a way called, you might say, by the spiritual dimension, um, and thought of myself as an agnostic for a few years and tried to write about that and... Um, I guess that the, a part of that that movement away from God was a kind of working out my own stuff, you might say. You know, particularly mm. say my anger with the church. Mm. That was a huge deal um, for me. Um, I felt that um, it was a sort of moribund institution. Um, it was manipulative, um, not because individuals particularly were so, but there was something about the institution as a whole that had got trapped. 
um, a sort of post-Christendom thing. There were issues, you know, um, attitude to women, attitude to gays, um, uh, the way that um, it seemed to me the church struggled to um, cope and, and, and think of the challenges of modern science and things like that, you know, mm. in biblical criticism, for example. So there's a whole kind of constellation of issues that made me uh, uh, well, want to and then actually kind of reject, particularly, I guess, the church. Um, and I felt that I was sort of moving into the fresh air of enlightenment. You know, I was making decisions for myself for the first time uh, that uh, I could be guided by reason and, and junk all that old superstitious nonsense. There was a kind of liberation feeling mm. in, in the movement away. Mm. Um, and then um, I would then, you know, over after, after a period of time, a few years, I would find myself back in cathedrals again, for example, and think, is it enough just to say how splendid are the follies of human beings, you know, mm. that they can put up buildings like this to nothing? Mm. Um, or, you know, Bach was an incredible musician, um, but what a shame he had that strange belief in God as if his music mm. was coming from the divine. Mm. Um, and I thought it's not really adequate. And so I had to start to rethink in a way that was the beginning of my return, I suppose. Mm. Um, and then there was also a, a sort of theological parallel, I guess, which was about um, feeling that uh, all the ideas and models which we have of God are valuable because they're they're sort of heuristics they kind of keep us pointed in the right direction but they've got to sort of fall away too hmm. um, and I felt that a lot of the problem with modern um, church going as I know it um, anyway um, is that it, in a way it holds too tightly to its models of God um, you know even holding too tightly to notions like the Trinity hmm. um, to a personal relationship with Jesus it's not that they're bad in themselves but there has to be a kind of um, a space that's just over the horizon, you might say, beyond um, those models, those ideas of God, which are given and have a lot of vitality and we use them. It's not to reject them, but it's to somehow keep an eye on on what's beyond them, what they're pointing to. I, I, Rome Williams, I, I remember hearing him recently say that we say the creed in church because it's the least embarrassing thing that Christians have worked out to say about God. Um, and then I recently went on a, an icon retreat where we painted an icon for a week of, of the Christ Pantocrator. And around Christ's halo on icons are um, the Greek letters that signify hot own, the, you know, the one or the being. And um, the icon iconographer who was teaching us, she explained that uh, this is because behind the visible God is the invisible God. That's very important in uh, Greek orthodoxy and in, in orthodoxy. Mm. And I thought that got rather lost in the West. Anyway, so that's rather a long answer, but yes. there, there feels like there's a kind of movement away, but then a sort of recovery um, that is um, perhaps, I don't know, it feels a bit more expansive, really, than my old religion, you might say. But I had kind of yes. had to go through that process, both to work out some of my personal issues but also to then be freer in a, a wider space, you might say, I suppose. Well, I think that d d describes actually what anatheism is. Right. <laughs> I think, I think uh, you see, I think that this, when moving away from the original view of God, which is inevitably a limited one because it's something we've absorbed relatively uncritically, um, moving into a much wider space, a kind of enlightenment rational freedom, individual autonomy, all those are sort of, as it were, benefits of enlightenment rationalism. Um, 
it opens up a space and autonomy and a freedom and then if one comes back to a view of God it's it's not just restoring an earlier more primitive or the understanding it's, it's finding a new one uh, which acknowledges much more about the mystery of God I think um, and certainly that's my own case I mean for me too when I began to adopt an atheist point of view when I was in my teens about 14, 15 uh, it came as part of the package of science education for me I mean my science teachers were people who in some cases explicitly agnostic and anti-Christian but this was something which uh, seemed to liberate liberating, I mean it seemed that everyone else was believing stuff that they were just being told and they were blindly believing it and somehow it made one feel freer to move beyond that. Mm. The other thing that was particularly liberating was the um, guilt about sex which came with Christianity in the forms I was exposed to it when I was younger um, the the main advantage of becoming an atheist was guilt-free sex. Well, that was a huge selling point for atheism, uh, at least in my generation. Um, and so that became, you know, an opening up movement. Um, but since contemporary atheism is so closely allied to scientific materialism, and since I was studying science... I came to the conclusion that scientific materialism was itself a very shallow and unsatisfactory portrayal of nature, particularly of animals and plants and humans. It's unconscious matter just working mechanically. It seems to leave a huge amount out. My own um, journey involved questioning scientific materialism first, as a scientist and from a scientific point of view, and God wasn't part of that process. It was it was a questioning of the scientific, dogmatic dogmatic science that I encountered, um, and then for me a journey back was it sort of came through transcendental meditation, Hindu philosophy, living in India, uh, coming to appreciate Hindu practices like pilgrimages and temples and 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 things and. Um, discourses on the nature of consciousness by gurus I went to. Then I went through a Sufi phase. I had a Sufi teacher in Hyderabad and did various Sufi meditative practices. Um, And I very much liked the Islamic sense of God's continual presence in in life, the idea that everything's provisional, um, the way they always say, inshallah, God willing, about everything, because anything could change at any moment and I very much like that sense of living in the presence of God and in the unfolding of God's will in every moment which uh, I found among my Muslim friends Um, and then I had to recognise that so much of my own nature was Christian and I was actually confirmed in my 30s in the Church of South India in in, in, um, Secunderabad so and then I found Father Bede Griffiths, who was for me a wonderful guide in um, bringing together the Hindu and, and Christian, because um, he lived, he was a Benedictine monk living in an ashram in South India. Um, so I found my way back to a, a new appreciation of the Christian tradition um, and of Christian practices via India, really. Um, I didn't start off with anger against the church and stuff. I, 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 that wasn't a problem for me. I mean, I, I found 
that it was relatively easy just to um, go my own way. I, I didn't because I wasn't in it in a sense in an official role. I it, it, I just found it, I could just not go and I could just stop praying and no one hassled me and and I was quite free. So I didn't feel I was being restrained in that way. Um, so anyway, for my having undergone this journey myself, this anatheistic journey. Um, what I find around me in, 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 in our general culture is that many other people are on various versions of the journeys that you and I have gone on. There are large numbers of people now who are brought up with no religion at all, with no religious practice. Who know, They're not rebelling against it because it's been pushed down their throats or because it's been restrictive influence or because they've been abused or something like that. Um, they've simply grown up in a kind of religious vacuum. And I know quite a few people who, coming out of that, have got a new interest in in, um, in God and religion, and some specifically in Christianity. Um, so I would say that that's a, a la- uh, well, I don't know how large scale, but a significant cultural movement. Uh, and in the Middle Ages, that would not have been a significant cultural movement, because there weren't large numbers of people raised atheist or or living in a kind of secular culture. So it's a feature of the modern world, Mm. and probably more so in Europe than America, because far more people in America are just straightforwardly religious from childhood on. I mean, there is, of course, a large secular community in America uh, as well, but it's much, much more developed, and it's been going for longer in Europe. It makes me feel that um, the, the larger cultural dimension, with people being raised indifferent or... In the, in the religious vacuum it's both sort of uh, you might say an opportunity and also a challenge uh, it's an opportunity because people perhaps don't have so much baggage like I did mm. um, that has to be worked through um, because I was born and raised in the church and was ordained and you know was up to my eyeballs in the institution mm. I had a complete sort of loss of innocence when it came to actual organised religion and what it does um, and that, that's a lot to work through um, but on the other hand um, I guess what we're talking about this return, it, you could think about it at a sort of more rational level in the sense that, you know, there's various arguments you can have about science and religion or whatever. But the, the more interesting um, idea to me is something much more about perception and awareness. You know, this word mystical, um, mm. which you both mentioned, I think. Um, I like the idea that it's a kind of experiential rather than obscure <laughs> Um, sort of connotation and it's about uh, developing almost a capacity or a skill um, to perceive maybe the sacred in the midst of the secular or the divine in the everyday Hmm. Um, and that that's affected a lot by the world in which you live and the assumptions of the world and if you do live in a world that in a way has lost that ability to see the divine it's it's uh, it's quite hard to uh, on your own, you might say, to sort of recover that. It's very interesting for me that you were in India, you mm. know, where this ability to see the divine, it feels to me as if it's everywhere. Yes. Um, in different traditions, different forms. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't know, I was at an event just uh, earlier in the week about death, and um, it was broadly based on a kind of secular, rational kind of assumption. There were people kicking against that, but that was what they were kicking against. Mm. And it just seemed to me that very basic Christian insights into death just were hardly present so people took christianity to be saying you know after death 
you get resurrected again in some straightforward way, sort of jam tomorrow kind of idea. Mm. Um, and there was no sense that um, actually what Christianity teaches is that life is found through death. Mm. Um, you know, Good Friday becomes before Easter Sunday. Paul says mm. it's no longer I that live. Um, mm. uh, and that seems to me to be a much, more, much richer sort of more everyday idea, really. Mm. Um, but that almost gets completely lost because people feel they know what Christianity says and they've already dismissed it. They know the view, as it were, that Christianity has of the world, and they don't see it in any other way. Well, I think this kind of the rejectionist position is one of assuming that Christianity is saying some fairly simple and often rather stupid thing and rejecting it. And the kind of caricature of religion that one gets in a lot of polemical atheist literature, like Dawkins, uh, attributes to people beliefs that many of them don't actually have. Um, It's based on a very superficial reading of it. But uh, like you, I think the key thing is is the practice and how it affects the way one lives. And for me, uh, going to church services, um, I find a source of renewal and inspiration. I find observing the various festivals throughout the year, obviously Christmas and Easter, but also the Day of the Dead, All Souls Day, and Michaelmas, St. Michael and All Angels, and these various festivals are ways of um, punctuating the year and bringing this other dimension into the passage of time. And also, um, I have a practice of praying every day, and so um, daily prayer um, is a way of bringing what happens in the day and what's going to happen in the next day or two, and the people around me in my life, and people I know, and people I've been interacting with, and the world in general, and so on all these into a kind of spiritual dimension or um, perspective. And that helps to transform the way that I actually experience daily life. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, if I think of the one thing that is now the most important thing to me, um, there are other things like going to church and being part of a community in that way, but I think the one thing is my daily practice of silent prayer, which is based Mm. on mindfulness. Mm. Um, And I've kind of learnt it from... Buddhists, really, because mm. I think that it's quite hard to find how to <coughs> pray um, in the modern Christian world, strangely. Uh, certainly more contemplative aspects of prayer. But it's been very crucial for me because it it is about gaining this sense of being embedded in the God in whom we live and move and have our being. I like what you said about the Sufis and Inshallah mm. and mm. Uh, this idea that every moment we're living within the unfolding of God. And mm. to have an internal sort of felt sense of that this contemplative prayer, um, which you know I, I have to do every day and I miss it if I don't, mm. um, has been really crucial, actually, um, for my return to God. Mm. Yeah, I think I would never really have thought of doing that before. Um, it was more... Um, uh, I don't think I would have been po- capable of doing it before, actually, probably. Mm. Um, I couldn't have rested, I don't think, um, in the divine, which I guess is an important part of that experience. Mm. Well, I think that seems to be it, doesn't it? That coming back, this anatheism is coming back to an experience of God and a, a presence of God in, in daily life. I mean, that's really what it seems to be about, and rediscovering something that becomes one's own practice and one's own experience, rather than something that's just being told to one, which is often what people re- reject and rebel against, which is what I did myself. Um then when it becomes part of one's own practice, then anatheism coming back to God 
gives a different experience of God than the pre, uh, than just straight theism. And from what what you were saying before, this is a kind of. Um, it's not just a, a, a contingent cultural moment that we happen to be experiencing, but it's part of um, religious traditions as a whole—a return to God, having f- the, having suffered the experience of losing God. Um, it seems to be part of the way that human beings find the divine, quite generally, actually. Well, that's a major part of Richard Kearney's book on anatheism. He gives lots of examples of um, returns to God. Well, even in the life of Jesus, you know, on the cross where there's a sense of abandonment by God, by God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sense which is quoting Psalm 22, and Psalm 22 is about this sense of abandonment and loss of God, and then a recovery of a sense of God's presence. So this is something that's actually right there in the Psalms and in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and it runs through the whole... Judeo-Christian tradition Um, and we can find many examples of it in the lives of saints and others so it's it's not something that's entirely a new cultural phenomenon I think what's new is that this is happening on a mass cultural scale as well as on at an individual level, it's always happened in a sense through in the lives of individuals but we're now seeing this played out on, on on a massive scale and if there's an anatheistic movement today, it's going to be a more significant social movement than it would have been in the past, because um, we're starting from a completely different baseline, a yeah. baseline where most people are starting off from a non-theistic position. It makes me wonder what, um, culturally, um, we're sort of shedding in order to rediscover God. Um, I, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, is it the legacy of Christendom or... Um, are we still working out the struggles of the Reformation? Um, or um, is it the impact of um, scientific modes of investigation and integrating mm. them uh, back with um, a more spiritual perception of reality as well? Um, I guess maybe all these things and others are at play in this cultural movement. I think so, yes. And also the sort of shedding of the idea that religion provides a single access to truth and that any given religion is right and all the others are wrong I mean another key ingredient of anatheism today is that it it can't possibly say that this one single path you know I'm a Roman Catholic I'm a Baptist I'm a Mormon or whatever and everybody else is wrong it it's impossible in the modern world really to have that perspective because we're now in a world where we're aware of all the different religious traditions Um, and within the Christian world we're very aware of sort of all the different kinds of churches. I mean, most people in Europe in the Middle Ages wouldn't have known that there were Coptic Christians in Egypt and and in Ethiopia and and so on. I mean, it, 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 or or um, Syrian Orthodox Christians in Kerala in South India. I mean, they were just unaware of many parts of their own religious tradition, let alone other religious traditions. So. Um, we're now in a position where there's a kind of relativization of religious dogmatism. What we have in the modern world as a re- representative of a kind of absolutist dogmatism is in science, not in religion. Um, so I think we're, that's another way in which anatheism is working in a different way. In any view of God is not going to be a single dogmatic view 
and any view of, say, the Holy Trinity is not going to be, this is the truth. It's a recognition of what's actually the official doctrine of the Holy Trinity in the Roman Church, that it's a mystery, and that you can have different models of it, but it's beyond our comprehension by definition. So I guess that the pluralism then, that's a... Um, that, that, that's another facet, isn't it? The, the, the recognition that we live in a plural world and uh, part of the struggle um, is, in a way, at one level, trying to think about how these different takes can, um, I think, not meld together because I think the differences are often really crucial, aren't they? But maybe yes. this anatheistic notion is um, saying that um, by understanding the differences, a sort of, again, this more um, mystical appreciation can come through, um, a bit more dialectical, you might say. Yes. Um, but on the one hand and on the other, but but through that um, it becomes comes the discernment of something that is deeper, rather than just kind of collapsing it as if there's a quite straightforward perennial philosophy that everyone could assent to. Yes, and also an appreciation for tradition, because I, in my own case, I really like the Church of England. It's I'm English. It suits me perfectly. The Church of England. I mean, it's got many features of what English culture has become and, and including a tolerance and a broadness that you don't find in some more sectarian churches um, and I very much like the language the music, the liturgy, the traditions so um, I find that I don't have to say the Church of England is the only path to God but what I can say is it works really well for me and that's because I'm English if I'd been born in Thailand I'd probably be a Theravada Buddhist, and if I'd been born in Egypt, probably a Muslim. Um, but I was born in England, I was raised Christian, and this is the path that's most natural for me. And I value that path and that tradition. I don't want it to be sort of homogenized and turned into a kind of generic uh, uh, practice that loses these aspects of the tradition. So I don't think uh, that a recognition of the, of the existence of other paths to God necessarily means one has to give up one's own or end up with some kind of pick-and-mix salad or uh, some kind of theosophical uh, attempt to synthesise them all in some larger picture. Yeah, and but maybe what it does mean is um, those of us who are within the Christian tradition need to work at what within that tradition is going to speak to the, 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 you know, the current cultural moment um, in order to help people to rediscover God. Yes, yeah. Okay, well thank you very much. That was that's very interesting. Well thank you, Mark.